Good afternoon, and welcome to Your American Heritage. And, uh, Your yeah. American Heritage, baby. <laughs> Thanks, Dave My name is Ed Bondarenka, and I am, of course, not... Not your normal fluffy insurrectionist. And producing the show is the guy that answers the phones, warns me commercials are coming, puts the guests online when they show up, and finds answers to questions that we ask. Derek Stone. I assure you, Derek is not an artificial intelligence. He's just really super good at what he does. And Derek also hosts Stone Cold Sports Truth, Sundays, noon 30, right after my friend Sean Todd hosts The Intersection at Noon. The Intersection is, of course, not your normal fluffy Christian show. So listen to both of them before Dr. Dave Janda comes on, not to mention the whole Saturday lineup of Abolitionist Roundtable at 9 a.m., Trigger Talk at 11 moment of clarity right before this show and if you missed our previous shows here's your chance to catch up oh and catch ed hoffman afterwards and the whole musical alignment this evening that's that's worth worth the price of admission folks but go to the podcast page at whamradio.com and share these podcasts with your friends your american heritage is on spotify apple or google podcasts and you can subscribe boost the signal be a paul revere and get the word out so it's day 1056 of the coup the taking of the American government by enemies both foreign and domestic. There's a war going on for control of America and you. The government and the media have been weaponized against us. Patriots have been threatened, indicted, and imprisoned. And we have a government in Washington that is prosecuting anyone that disagrees with it or that it fears. I think it fears many. Donald Trump is on that list. The January 6th Patriots are on that list. Christians are on that list. I'm on that list. You're on that list. So what's the proper response? To resist, to protest, to broadcast. We boycott, we boycott, we go to court. We support those that go to court for us and we vote whether they cheat or not, we vote. And we get our fellow citizens to vote. We educate them, we arm ourselves, intellectually of course, and we pray. They have a justice department, but we have a God. Psalm 144 says, blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. So please clasp your hands and your fingers together. Let's pray. Let's go to war. Father, please lead us and guide us as we seek to protect this nation. Please help us to restore this nation to a godly place, to a place that doesn't kill babies randomly and end and, up uh, um, indiscriminately to a place that doesn't harm little children that are going to school and empower them to destroy their futures by having surgeries permitted on them without the knowledge of their parents even. We ask you to remove the illegal overreach of those that would oppress us. Please help us to protect our heritage and our heritage are our children from these evil conspirators. Please bring these enemies of good and sound morals to a place of repentance. And if they will not repent, please remove them. Amen. Now, our guest today was supposed to be attorney Maria Gondero. And um, she is not showing up, which puts me in a very difficult position. Because there's many things to talk about. But I don't like talking nonstop for an hour. I find that hard to do. So, you know, for one, if you want to call in, make comments. Uh, if you have something you want to talk about, I guess it's open mic Saturday. The number is 
1600. Feel free to call. So I have a book in my hand that I was hoping to have the authors on a couple months ago. And uh, actually, it's a author, Wes Davis. And the book is called American Journey, On the Road with Henry Ford, Thomas Edison, and John Burroughs. Now, I'll let you in on a little secret. I now have people that are asking to get on the show. And um, that's pretty cool. And they're usually authors, and they want to plug a book. And they'll ask me, would you like a review copy of the book? And I'll, I'll say, you know, well, PDF is fine. I, you know, I don't expect to take advantage of anybody and uh, just get free stuff. But I got this really nice hardcover version of this book, American Journey. And on Moment of Clarity earlier, we were talking about the Henry Ford, the museum, the village. I'm kind of, you know, put off by the pretentiousness of the Henry Ford. But uh, tell you the truth, I bought a family membership for my son and my wife and I are included in it. He takes my grandchildren there fairly regularly and they like to go. My one grandchild, my grandson, he loves to look at the trains. There's the airplanes, the motorcycles, there's the village, the Christmas stuff going on. There's all these activities they have that if you're a member, you get to go. It's like 150 bucks a year for the family, so it's a great Christmas present, and I don't have to agonize over what to get them every year. And uh, they take advantage of it, and so we do too. So as a child, we used to take, I used to go on class trips to Henry Ford Museum and Henry Ford Village, and uh, a number of kids did. I don't know if people still do that or not, but I remember hearing the stories. There was a diorama there that showed a camping scene, and the story was that Henry Ford and his friends uh, Goodyear and Edison and another guy named Burroughs, who was a, a, a literary figure, that they'd go camping together, and they just got out in the wilds and, and went camping. It's kind of interesting. They were nature boys. They weren't, here they are, major industrialists, and they were in touch with the land. They were not, uh, you know, trying to tear everything up and smoke the big cigars and, you know, cruise on uh, vessels and live the high life. They were, uh, they're guys that got enjoyment out of traveling and traveling this country and finding out more about it. And actually, that's kind of how we got Greenfield Village and the Henry Ford Museum, because Henry Ford felt that way about our heritage. And that's right here in Michigan, in Dearborn, of course, you know. And I'll tell you a funny story. My wife, my wife, my mom told me years ago that a lady from Philadelphia came to town and asked her, do you know where the Henry Ford Museum is? And my mom told her how to get there. And uh, she says, okay, thanks. I appreciate that. What's it like? And my mom says, I haven't been there. Now she just lived a couple of miles from there. And just, well, I haven't been there. And the lady says, that's funny. I'm from Philadelphia. And here I am visiting Dearborn to visit the Henry Ford Museum, and I've never seen the Liberty Bell or Independence Hall. You know, and the story is that, you know, a prophet has no honor, you know, in his own country. And the local attractions can sometimes um, seem kind of mundane to you. You don't think about it. I'll go there someday. Now, I think my guest has shown up, which is really cool, because then I get to stop talking. 
So, Maria, have you joined us? Hi, can you hear me? Oh, yes, I can. I can't see you, but I can hear you. So that's the important thing on radio, right? Yes. So, folks, we have been saved. I bet you my wife was praying. She does that a lot. And, Joe, if you'll hang up and call back later, I'd appreciate it. I see you're on the phone, but uh, we're going to carry on with my guest right now. I do want to finish, Maria, in your absence. I was telling a long, boring story about uh, uh, Henry Ford. Actually, it's not. It's an incredible story about Henry Ford and his friends and the, the this book called American Journey, which is interesting because I so much wanted to have this guest on the show to talk about this book. And I think he might have listened to an episode or two or read my bio because he didn't think it would be a good fit. And all I can say is political. The guy is going to let politics get in the way of his telling an incredible story. Uh, about these guys and our nation and their appreciation of it. I want to say one more thing about this, uh, Maria, before we get to you. I live in an area near a, a lake called Ford Lake. And right downstream from it, down the Huron River, is another lake now called Belleville Lake. And in my youth, that was known as Edison Lake. Now, if you're Putting the two and two together, one is Ford Lake and one is Edison Lake, and these two guys were friends. The story is that on one of these camping trips that they took together, Ford, Henry Ford, was talking about needing labor and energy for small manufacturing plants. And Edison said, I can do that. And what they did was they got permission. They bought out farms and the like along the Huron River and along the Rouge River and a few other rivers, and they dammed them up. In fact, just a mile from my house is a, a, a power station uh, over Bridge Road that holds back the Ford Lake from the Huron River from filling the Belleville Lake, which is held back by the Frenchtown Dam. And these nearby was Ypsilanti Assembly and uh, Rossonville Manufacturing. And they, they got power and they got workers. The farmers would actually support their farming habit by becoming uh Auto workers. So that's a bit of American history there and your American heritage. So now we've got a guest. Thank you, Jesus. And so our guest today is attorney Maria Gondero. And I hope I'm not butchering that. And uh, a listener in Florida suggested that I change the name of the show to Legal Talk because I have a number of lawyers on. Well, they are our allies and often our frontline defense. And Maria is Vice President of Legal Counsel for Advocates for Faith and Freedom, located in California. Advocates for Faith and Freedom safeguards the constitutional liberties that define the United States as a beacon of freedom and prosperity, including religious freedom, free speech, election integrity, parental rights, and the rights of children, both born and unborn. So welcome to the show, Maria. Thank you for having me. Now, am I pronouncing your name right, considering it has an H on the end of it? Um, Mariah, Mariah. There, I wondered about that. You know, the wind says Mariah, however that song goes. Yes, I, I got that. So my apologies. We'll edit the podcast when we, we print it. Derek, remind me to edit the podcast, change your name. Thank you. So um, you are the uh, um, vice president of Advocates for Faith and Freedom in California. And, you know, it's like, we have our friends here in Michigan, Sultan Lake Global and um, Great Lakes Justice Center do a similar work here in Michigan. And so the question is, why am I having on somebody 
from California. And my thinking is, as goes California, so goes the United States. So how did you get involved in it? Well, tell us a little biographical background of you first. I, I noticed that you're into running. You're a competitive runner. Um, yes, I, I am. I'm actually from a small cattle ranching community in Montana. And then I went to Pepperdine Law School for my my law degree. So I grew up in Montana, which is a lot more sane than California. And then I <laughs> I got into constitutional law and I've and I love it because I, I always grew up I grew up in a conservative home and I grew up with parents who love America and are very patriotic and you know, I, I think what's going on in California is insane and, and you really said something really important. You know, when, when California goes, as does everyone else, and you see the policies that start in California trickle down to other to other states. And so it is so important that we challenge um, these policies in California, which are absolutely insane. They get more and more insane every month, it seems like. <laughs> right. And we, we here in Michigan are, it's almost like we're, you know, trying to compete now with our, our um Wretched Whitmer, the, the governess, like we're trying to compete for Cal with California or see that as a <laughs> blueprint of, you know, how to screw up elections and how to steal power and how to um, uh, overreach and overrule in people's lives. I will say one thing that we have here in Michigan, and I, I'm not sure why it didn't work so easily in California as it did here in Michigan. And that's that when under COVID, Gretchen Whitmer shut down our churches illegally and uh, and attempted to keep them shut down. Our friends at uh, Great Lakes Justice Center uh, threatened her with a federal lawsuit and they never went to court. She backed down immediately, realizing that, uh, that she didn't have a case and they opened the churches. Unfortunately, not enough pastors took advantage of that. But in your state, my goodness. In fact, there's a movie that's out right now with the Eternal Church about John MacArthur. I haven't seen it. Actually, I'd like to get him on the show or one of his people on the show to talk about that. The importance of the church and not shutting churches down. You had a part in that battle, didn't you? Oh, absolutely. We were on the front lines representing a lot of churches during COVID-19. And in fact, we're still representing Calvary Chapel, San Jose, um, Santa Clara County was really the epicenter of where the lockdowns originated. And we're still fighting these fines that the county has levied against the church because they stayed open. And right now it's $1.2 million. Uh, that was in San Jose, right? I'm trying to think. Was that Pastor Rob? Um, what's the pastor's name there? Pastor Mike McClure. Oh, McClure. I'm sorry. So I got it wrong. That's not who I was thinking of. Okay. Thank you. And and how did that battle go? Well, we're, we are still actually fighting it. It's crazy because the Supreme Court has been very clear. The Supreme Court has been very clear over the years how they feel about these orders, and they've admonished California numerous times. But we are still um, battling these fines in California because as you're probably aware, the lower courts sometimes do not follow the, the United States Supreme Court. And so we end up having to appeal. Yeah. Or they try and get creative. I mean, like, like I've, I don't know if you're involved in gun rights at, at all or not. But I mean, here we have this landmark case, Bruin, 
And it's like, okay, so you said it. You said we can't do that. We're going to find some creative way of doing what we want anyhow. And then you have got to go back to court and force their hand and go back to court and force their hand. Like, like nobody really cares on a, on a local level, it seems, anymore that what the law of the land is if they don't agree with it. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. We've, we've seen that a lot during COVID-19 is just these, these governors and these, these unelected bureaucrats doing whatever they seem fit, which is very dangerous and very opposite of how our government is supposed to work. Yeah. So um, what kind of cases are you working on right now? And, and you can be found at uh, faith-freedom.com, right? Yes, faith hyphen freedom. Um, really, it's a wide array of of cases. We started out with, well, during COVID. I mean, our main battle at that time was representing these churches, and we we really what makes us a unique organization is that we do such a wide array of constitutional issues. We have, we do have a, a couple election cases. In fact, um, one of our our main election cases is in the Ninth Circuit now, and we should be getting a decision on that case before our early next year, and it has to do with universal vote by mail and mm. the the relaxed or non-existent signature verification requirements. Um, so, so that is in the Ninth Circuit right now, and we have a lot of cases challenging just the plethora of, of bills coming out of California involving transgenderism, children, um, it's, it seems to be that there's this huge war on children in California. So that's been a main focus as well. Are you working with uh, Election Integrity Project of California at all? Yes, that that is one of our that is one of our plaintiffs. Okay, uh, is that a, is that uh, are you related as an organization with them? So our organization represents them in the case as a um as a plaintiff and oh, so I obviously, see. I like, understand now Got yep it. yep we re- we represent them um and absolutely yeah. you know we support what they do they do really good work really outstanding work I'll, I'll i'll be honest with you i thought when i was originally contacting uh you guys i thought i was contacting eipca for somebody to comment on that directly, and I got you, which is not a problem at all because this is this is great. Yeah, it's a little broader, but you can speak on election integrity also. So, can you expand on on this case that uh, that they're that uh, you're representing EIPCA on? Yes, absolutely. So, what we have seen in California, as you know, the rat, you know, universal vote by mail has been ratified. It's just we we've seen a large amount of incident reports reporting that election workers are not adequately vetting signatures, which isn't unsurprising because, you know, most people have to go to school to analyze signatures and determine whether a signature is forged. And California, you know, puts a lot of untrained people in these positions to verify hundreds of thousands, if not millions of signatures. And it's been reported, you know, that, you know, Overall, there's a pattern of them not adequately verifying signatures and sometimes not even verifying signatures at all. Um, and that is a is a huge problem because, as, you know, we want to have faith in our election system. And if the election workers are not adequately doing their job, it's really hard 
to have faith in the election system. And and that's just another reason why universal vote by mail is just such a bad idea and why most countries don't have it is because of the lack of train of uh, chain of custody. I mean, signature verification, how do you do that? They're not. I mean, it's just, it's, it's absurd. I mean, you're absolutely right. Other countries don't do this because they know the fraud that can occur. And in our case, I am absolutely convinced has occurred. Um, you were talking about, uh, oh my goodness. You were talking about the, the inexperience of these clerks. And I was reading recently that one of the strategies of the left now is to actually induce a churn in poll workers. I mean, for years I've gone to the polls and I've seen basically the same people year after year. It's like they feel it's their civic duty. They get paid some money to do it. And yet now it seems like a tactic is to start churning those people out so that there's less experienced people in the network and they're, they're less likely to catch stuff or to uh, be as diligent as they can possibly be. Have you seen any of those reports? I haven't seen any of those reports, but that's a really big issue that we we allege in in our in our lawsuit is the fact that these election workers are not really doing their job, um, and they are you know at times undertrained, um, and it's it's not a job that you know a person just being trained for a day can figure out. Like like I said, I mean we're talking about signatures. It's actually very hard to verify whether a signature is forged. It's not as easy as people think. It's, you know, it's very, it, it can be very easy to forge signatures. And so people go to school for that. Um, and here they, they, they just expect these undertrained, you know, workers to do it. What, uh, you know. Well, one of the sad things about this is, is that you, this country was founded on Judeo-Christian principles, and like John Adams said, you know, it's it's not a it's not a, a system of government that's uh, fit for a uh, it's only fit for a religious and moral people, and so we get kind of Pollyannish in a sense about our elections, and I think we got totally overwhelmed by a bunch of scoundrels who sought to take advantage of that naivety and introduce, you know, ballots without signatures, ballots that are mimeographed. And, and I mean, we're not even talking about the machine fraud that's suspected. You know, we're talking about uh, uh, just over, you know, voting in barrels, votes everywhere else. Give me one second, uh, Mariah. Uh, Derek, how long? Was that 30 or a minute? I missed it. 30. Okay. Mariah, stick with us. We're going to come back after the break. Folks, listen in. We'll be back. Listen to the commercials and join us. Finally, 
chains We were made to be courageous We were made to be courageous We were warriors on the front lines Standing unafraid Well, welcome back to the second half of Your American Heritage, baby yeah, thank you, Tyrone. So, uh, welcome back to the second half of the show. And joining us is uh, Mariah Gondero. Uh, so, she is the uh, uh, vice president and legal counsel for Advocates for Faith and Freedom, which is similar to our friends at uh, Salt Lake Global and um, and uh, Great Lakes Justice Center. Uh, so, she's doing the fine work there in California, and in some degrees, uh, she's sort of like on the front lines of the stuff that uh, is going to be headed this way as, as we know things work, as we said earlier. And so, uh, Mariah, one of the things we're, oh, by the way, we have a call. Let's let's get this caller out of the way, okay? Uh, is Joe still on the line? Oh, Joe is not on the line. Well, if Joe wants to call back, that's fine. If anybody wants to call in, question or comment for our guest or myself, uh, 734-822-1600. But uh, we were talking, off air about uh, the kind of things you were involved in. And one of the biggest threats we find ourselves facing, I mean, our heritage, our children are an heritage to the Lord. That's scriptural. And then, of course, uh, we need to protect that heritage, our heritage and his heritage. And there is such an attack on children these days. I mean, we've seen the movie Sound of Freedom. We've seen what's going on with uh, child trafficking, and we've seen what's going on with adults wanting to groom children into a life of perversion and, and surgical disaster. And uh, they call it transgenderism. They're trying to lock parents out of protecting their kids or being aware of what's going on with kids. And you're fighting that battle in California. Is that right, Mariah? Yep, absolutely. We're on the front lines of it right now. So why don't you name some of the cases you're involved in or some of some of the things that are going on there in California? Well, sure. Yeah, we we are. We recently filed a lawsuit challenging California's transgender sanctuary bill, which allows children to flee from other states to get transgender surgery without their parents in California. So California is kind of like a, a safe haven, I guess. Isn't there a federal law against the transportation across federal, you know, I mean, state lines uh, regarding um, minor children? Yes, absolutely. And of course, you're dealing with parental rights here. I mean, it's longstanding that parents have a right to be involved in their child's medical decisions. But that's how brazen these government officials are. And California is really paving the way in this. I mean, their focus their focus has really been on, you know, issues relating to children, transgenderism, and and education. We're seeing it trickle down into education. These these types of these types of policies, and they've even been suing school districts who don't, you know, comply with their agenda. It's it's absolute insanity. And so, you know, God's very clear how He feels about those who hurt children. Oh, yeah. Millstone around the neck. That one. Yeah. You know, yeah, hey, folks want a millstone around your neck. Well, guess what? 
You might as well go for that because that's better than what God has intended for you. Keep your molesting our children. That's scriptural. That's just the Ed Bondarenka paraphrase. Wow. Hey, um, we do have a call from Joe. He wants to make a comment, and then we'll get back to this subject because I, I want to ask you about in local parentis and what that means. But let's see what Joe has to say first. Hi, Joe. Yeah, now that you've got your guest, I can have a relevant comment I want to get her reaction to rather for than once. when we I was calling in earlier to help you stall for time and whether my Michigan, my Michigan was stolen from Oh Christmas Tree. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But the legal question or issue here is liberal activist courts up and down all around all the states, the left does a lot of stuff and get away with it because they shop and get liberal activist courts that allow them to do things. And the SCOTUS is a problem because it doesn't hear enough cases. And a lot of this bad law stands for a while. For example, the idiot Justice Roberts tries to moderate the court, and they're rehearing things they don't need to and should be hearing others. Two examples, compelled speech. The Baker, Colorado case should have settled compelled speech, but idiot Roberts wants limited scope rulings, so then now the website case had to come up to finally settle the issue of compelled speech. And the same thing with affirmative action. We had the case before against U of M. They didn't go far enough in specific in the ruling, left it open and vague, and then we had to have just, uh, oh, I forget what, you know, the affirmative action ruling we have here. Your thoughts on liberal activist courts and SCOTUS not hearing enough cases. I don't know if you were thinking of Becky or not, but yeah, you're right. They they, they push and push and push, and, and unfortunately, we don't... Well, Mariah, do you have any com comments on that? You're the lawyer, not me. Well, I guess it's kind of like the bane of my existence. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, we're talking about California here, and um, I think that's what's very hard about being a constitutional attorney is you have to be patient, though, you know, like, because... Because like you're, the caller was saying, this happens and this happens not even in super blue districts or super liberal districts. It just happens. And so that's why when when you practice these and you and you file these cases, you have to be thinking about the long game and you have to be patient because you're not going to get the immediate result you want. But the reality is, is the fight has to be done. And it's it's it takes a while. It's kind of like, you know, chopping a big oak tree. You know, you have to just keep going, keep going, keep going. Thankfully, we have a overwhelming majority on the Supreme Court where we don't have to rely on Roberts. And that has been our saving grace. I, I say it a lot. If we didn't have that Supreme Court, even though we don't necessarily think they're perfect, we would be in a very bad position right now. That right now is, is, is what I have hope in. And that's why I believe there are so many people who would love to get rid of it and who want to try to take out some of the justices because they hate all these, you know, even though Roberts in the past has issued really weak watered down decisions, thankfully we have five others who are not willing to do that. 
And we've yes. gotten a lot of great decisions over the years. Thanks for calling, Joe. Appreciate it. Good comment. And, uh, you know, along Robert's line, of course, he's the guy that uh, coached the Obama team on how to get us Obamacare. Oh, yeah, well, it really is a tax, you know. So, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, I wanted I was starting to tell you a story and I during the break and I want to basically go over very quickly here uh, for people who didn't listen to Moment of Clarity last week. I highly encourage you to go to uh, whamradio.com. The archives page, the podcast page, and look up Moment of Clarity and pick up last week's broadcast because we had on Karen Whitset, who uh, became an ally of the people who are, I can't say pro life, but people who are pro life, uh, people who are for uh, uh, reasonable decisions. We were, and what prompted this is we were just talking about the Supreme Court, and they gave us. Uh, they gave us the downfall of Roe v. Wade, which is acceptable, wonderful. We've been waiting for 50 years. But then again, like the dog chasing the car, we caught it and didn't know what to do with it. And then we did stuff that cost us politically. And President Trump was criticized for what he said about Ron DeSantis's uh, five-week limit on abortions in Florida. But the fact of the matter is what Trump was really saying, and he elaborated on it later, was that, we have to do some coalition building if we want to protect life. And somebody like Karen Whitsett, who we interviewed last week, uh, who says, you know what, I, I'm okay for abortion light in my district. And she has the highest abortion uh, uh, percentages, not percentages, not most abortions happen in her district in Detroit. And yet she pushed back and said, you're taking away the protections for my constituents. You're taking away clean medical facilities. The fact that a doctor or a surgeon would have to perform this, that there would have to be an anesthesiologist and, and blah, blah, blah. Just all these things you'd expect of any surgical procedure, which this is. And the Democrats wanted to take that away. And she stood up and said, hey, uh, that's a bridge too far. And we need to ally with these people. I don't know if you have an opportunity to do that in uh, Canada or California, excuse me. But uh, um, I just I just wanted to bring that up. Do you have any thoughts along those lines? Yeah, I think, um, I don't think that, I, I feel like in my opinion, California is, is, is too far, too far gone. And, and there's really no opportunity to, you know, bridge gaps and, and, you know, create coalitions right now. I think it's, it's getting that way here. Yeah, it's getting it's, that way. It's here. like a, a battle of, of really good versus evil. I mean, what you can't really compromise with these people and what what they're trying to push. And in my opinion, I think a lot of the people who are who are in charge are um, are pedophiles. They're perverts, you know. And so, you know, we see these. We see some of these people. If you watch the TV shows, and you see. Uh, uh, libs on TikTok, I think it's called. I mean, I've never found that place myself. I won't go to TikTok, but you know, you see it on Facebook and the like. You see these absolute whack jobs saying, Who are these parents to think they own the children? We, the teachers, and you look at that person and say, You are a teacher, you know, Mrs. Fiedler would, 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 you know, never be a teacher like you, my fifth grade teacher. You know, what I mean, <laughs> wow. You know, and you're teaching children and you think the children belong to you and you have the right to groom them and counsel them and, and point them in directions that the parents aren't aware of. 
And and now we have legislatures who want to codify that, like you were talking about. What there was this concept when I was a kid of in loco parentis, which meant that the parents, I mean, sorry, the teachers were taking the place of the parents when the parents weren't there, but not having all of the authority of the parents to make life-changing decisions, but just a place of authority. How does how do these people think they get the legal right to take away parental authority? Where is that in the Constitution? It, I know you can't find this. So how am I asking that? Yeah, it, it's hard that we even have to talk about this. It's it's nowhere in the Constitution, but but California seems to think, and I think there are many liberals who see who who seem to think that the government should raise your your children, that they know what is best because they're smart, and a lot of these people. A lot of these parents are stupid. They can't raise their own children. Let's have the government raise their children. But we all know that the government's not good at anything. So it, it, is, um, it is absolutely very, very disturbing. We've been fighting, fighting this a lot in California, trying to get parental notification policies passed in school districts. But California, the governor's office, they have been suing districts for these types of parental notification policies. They want, to con- they want to control education. It's very, very scary. And what we see now, that people who are in education are not people you would want your children <laughs> caught by. I mean, or be around. Or to be around. I mean, some of these people are just downright crazy. They're crazy. And this, these are who are teaching our children. So there was a thought I had, fleeting thought that meant it went away quickly. But uh, it's besides that, until that thought comes back, our forefathers seems like they were brilliant people, but they never had the foresight to see that things would get this crazy, that in the Bill of Rights, there was something that said, and parents control their children until the age of majority or some such like that, because it was just a rational assumption. Like some of the things we see about church and state, what they knew about church and state, uh, they never, they did not want a church, you know, a state church. But it didn't mean that they didn't want, you know, anything, any religious influence on government, but quite the contrary. So we're where can we reach to in the U.S. Constitution to support parents' rights, or is there nothing there? Well, there's been case law that has been developed, and that's how constitutional law works. Is it those 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 rights are are, are affirmed by the United States Supreme Court, and it's and it's very clear there is a lot of case law, um, and by the United States Supreme Court and elsewhere that. Children um, or parents have a right to be involved in their children's medical decisions um, because they're not able to consent to those types of procedures. And so even though it's not explicitly in the Constitution as to what parents need to be involved in, it's been affirmed by the Supreme Court over the years. And that's why the Supreme Court um, that really understands our history, really understands our foundation is so important because this is where 
you can get judges in there who will just legislate and be like, oh, no, the founders didn't really care about this. The Constitution really doesn't say this. Yeah. 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 That uh, fleeting thought that uh, that uh, eluded me for a bit, it circled back and I managed to catch it. And that's that um, we live in a nation that uh, I guess basically because of the Chevron decision and just the way things have gone for so long, we live in an administrative state. So we actually have we, we say that the media is the fourth branch of government. Actually, the swamp is the fourth branch of government. And it's the unelected, somewhat appointed, and I'd say not bound by the Constitution because they have their own courts, administrative courts, and administrative enforcement. And so what the administrators say uh, it goes, uh, this is best exemplified by this old movie with Raymond Massey and it called uh, uh, Things to Come where it shows the wise people, the scientists coming to rule the world over the the uh, uh, benighted uh, idiots who are the local local leaders. No, we'll have a great world government. But in this system, we let the the administrators, the experts take over areas of government. And I think the teachers fell right into that, said, well, who better to administrate children than the teachers who have them in their classrooms, right? Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, a lot of these teachers now, especially in California, who are teaching our children, a, a lot of them went to liberal universities, and a lot of them are, you know, controlled by the unions, by the, the teachers' unions and, and, their, and their agenda. And so, absolutely, you just have a bunch of brainwashed teachers teaching teaching their, you know, children. And a lot of these, you know, a lot of these teachers believe that America's bad. America's evil. Um, you know, we need to we need to change America. We need to help these children. I mean, that's how these people think. And that's that's how they were raised. They were taught under Howard Zinn. They were taught by their uh, um, what's the Bill Bill Ayers? You know, they the uh, the radicals who overtook overtook the system, overtook the uh, the academy, and now is raising people in their own image. Hey, we have a listener in Florida who is curious if you have, and I'm kind of curious too, you mentioned case law, and I have, I understand how that works somewhat, and it's just that it doesn't, it has a foundation that's not rock solid like the Constitution. And like Dred versus Scott, I'm sure that, Dred Scott, that was kind of a case law thing that fortunately got yanked out and and so I'm, I'm not sure the case law is as rock solid although it you know precedent and all that is exactly that precedent do you have any examples of how that case law progressed so that uh we we can say parents have rights to their children um well i i, I think what you saw is, is you know chill you know starting out with parents having a right to control their children's upbringing as it relates to education, we saw that. And then that kind of trickled down to, you know, parents having a right to to um, be involved in their child's medical decisions. And so oftentimes the foundation is ultimately from the Constitution, but sometimes society will bring up new things that maybe weren't specifically pointed out in the Constitution, right? 
but the constitution is still clear that parents um, have to be involved with their children and that they have a right to control their upbringing. And so that foundation then trickles out to any type of any other context where the liberals or anyone else may, may be trying to infringe on that right. I don't know if that I explained that, but yeah, I can understand. And something that came to mind while you were talking was uh, that, say, here in Michigan, we used to have uh, truancy laws and you had to go to public school. And then we had the homeschool movement back in the 80s and perhaps before that. And they were really pushed back against by the State Department of Education, saying that you have to have your kids in a in a structured school. It had to be a public school or a private school, but you couldn't have them at home. And so there were workarounds to that until finally it was realized that parents could control their own kids' education. Now, if it weren't for that, and there were laws that said you have to force your kids to go to public school, then... I can see this ground they might stand on. See, the government says you have to send them to us, and why? We're the ones that make the decisions. But since the government doesn't say that, the government gives the parents the rights as to who will educate, and that's often a form of economic uh, economic concern that, that uh, directs that, then it seems to me these people don't have a leg to stand on. Is that part no, of the case law? The, the Constitution, the United States Constitution, any any. any you know, case law that, you know, affirms the right of, the, you know, parental rights under the United States Constitution trumps anything else. Uh, th th that is the ultimate law of the land. Yeah, yeah, we, we would hope often ignored by, by some courts. But yeah, definitely, you know, we're getting back to originalist thinking, thank God, instead of this uh, living constitution nonsense that uh, crept in a yeah. uh, number of years ago. And so the words mean what they say when they're on paper, not what somebody thinks they might say in their head when they read it or, or expound upon it. Um, so, Derek, what do we got? Two minutes. So, obviously, you are a nonprofit. Is that correct? Um, yes, we are. And Okay, yes, you are. And so basically that means if people wanted to contribute to your effort, they could do that by how? How would they do that? They can go to uh, faith-freedom.com. They can support us there. They can also follow us on social media, Advocates for Faith and Freedom. Um, you can find our information there. And we're always looking for people. You can join our newsletter uh, Stay up to date as to what we're or we're doing and the new the new battlegrounds we're in. Obviously, prayer is so important. Yes, the prayer is extremely important, and we need that more and more as our as our society and our culture is becoming more devoid of God. So. Okay, well then let's do that right now. Let's join together in prayer and let's pray right now for our nation, for our children, for your organization, and others like you. So, Father, we ask you to uh, bless Mariah and uh, Faith and Freedom and uh, organizations like them. We ask you to protect our children, to protect our rights as citizens, and to keep us in an environment where we can uh, promote the gospel and live our lives as Christians without fear of persecution. We ask this in Jesus' name. Mariah, thank you very much for joining us. Um, folks, uh, come on back next week for another episode of Your American Heritage. Thank you.